Let's pray together. We are thankful, our Heavenly Father, for how great you are, and yet you love us, and you come to be our Savior and our King. Help us, Lord, as we continue in that thought today, as we consider the words of Jesus and his calling to his disciples, and may we follow because you are King, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I'm starting a, a new series. <laughs> I got a, a, a funny little uh, Facebook thing this week. Maybe some of you saw it. Uh, Jocelyn actually sent it to me. I'll blame her. Yeah. Somebody sent it to her. Somebody said, oh, get, hey, hi, Carrie. How we doing? You know, I always like to see Carrie. She brightens my day. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I think we're supposed to dismiss the kids. All right, how about it? All right, thank you, Carrie. Yeah, that, yeah, she is so patient. <laughs> Very good. No, Jocelyn sent me uh, this little Facebook thing. It said, um, uh, when the pastor, I guess the, if the pastor sees his shadow, then he continues his series for six more weeks. <laughs> I said it was going to be longer than that. It was a long shadow. Okay, so. Starting a new series. Uh, actually, this is what is a Lenten series, although we're not actually officially in Lent yet. That will come in a week or two. Um, but uh, I'm going to be moving through uh, what is often called the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, it's Jesus' final farewell to his disciples um, as he announces that this is the time that he's going forward into the time where he will give himself as our Savior and die on the cross. So it's a very significant time. Uh, it's a very significant section. Um, you know, throughout Scripture, uh, we find final farewells. Uh, if, if you look in the Old Testament, um, Jacob gathered his sons in Genesis 49 when he was to die, and, and he had special things to say to them. Uh, about um, his trust in God and the importance of all that they would follow after he was gone. Um, Moses gave a farewell to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 31 to 34. We find Joshua doing the same thing uh, at the end of his life in the end of the book of Joshua. Samuel did the same thing in 1 Samuel 12 and David in 1 Chronicles 28 to 29. And there's a pattern in each of these farewells, uh, they include comfort to the family and friends that they're talking to, okay? They, they include an exhortation to follow, to be obedient to things that matter. Um, and there is prayer and, and blessing that's given, and certainly things to remember. Jesus includes all of these things in this farewell, which is often, as I mentioned, called the Upper Room Discourse. Because, of course, what's happening, as you look back in John 13, at the earlier part of this chapter, Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. He washes their feet. Um, he, he talks to them about the significance of what has been the Passover, but now is the Lord's Supper, and, and passes that on to be remembered. And now we find, as we begin here at verse 31 in chapter 13, 
the beginning of this final farewell. Have you ever thought about what you would say to those you love if you knew you only had a little time left on this earth? Um, Some of you have experienced some life situations where you weren't sure you were going to make it. And I'm sure you thought about what's important for me to tell somebody that I love. Uh, Certainly we want to tell them that we love them. Certainly we want to tell them about what's important for them to take care of once we're gone. And things maybe that we've done that that they're going to be responsible for now. Uh, Certainly we want them to know, uh, you know, how to do what's important to do. Um, Hopefully we're doing some of that on a daily basis too. But it's just not left to the end. But these words of Jesus are are those kind of words, and they're very significant, the final words to his friends and loved ones. And he's declaring to his disciples, and also to us, we're his disciples too as we, we read this, what he wants us to know, how we should live, special promises, comfort, and care. And when we get to chapter 17, we'll be reading and studying his prayer high priestly prayer. Now, this farewell begins at a very interesting time, and we're going to read that in the text here, but it begins when Judas left the room to betray Jesus. Judas had been present throughout Jesus's ministry, and even there at the celebration of the Passover feast, but his heart was never with Jesus. Judas was always about money and power, and we read in the text in John that that Satan actually entered into him at this place in time to use him as the one who would betray the Savior. And Jesus had said to Judas at the table at that moment, hurry and do what you're going to do. Interesting, isn't it? We know that Jesus is the Lord of all. He certainly came and gave up his place in heaven to be like us. But even in the midst of it all, he knew what was going to happen. He he was really still in charge. He he gave his life for us. It it wasn't just a happenstance because of Judas being who he was. Judas was just a part of the whole plan for Jesus to give himself for us. So he said, go, go do what you need to do. And then he began to speak to the others. With Judas out of the room, there was a special intimacy with the rest of the disciples. Now this group too would fail him. They would fail him in his death. They would not be there. They wouldn't really be with him. and they'd, Some of them would sit there and sleep while he was praying and, and bleeding out of his skin as he suffered so even in preparation. They'd fail him, but they would. They would become his witnesses, and they would themselves be persecuted and even die for their faith. This was the intimate believing group that Jesus was speaking to. So let's read this first part of this farewell in John chapter 13, starting at verse 31, and we'll go to the end of this chapter. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. 
and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. A sobering passage here in many ways. Now, now Jesus begins his farewell by stating the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. He, he begins this farewell with stating what's to happen, that this is his purpose. It's been his purpose in coming before even the creation of the world. That this time, this moment, is now going to be completely fulfilled. And the purpose of his life, certainly he came to this earth with the purpose of dying for you and me, but the purpose, as he clearly says here, is to glorify the Father, is to glorify God, to bring glory, and he himself God. The glory comes to him. Now, Certainly, God is the center of all glory. He is the Holy One. Uh, uh, his presence is a presence full of light. There is no darkness in Him at all. We read that in other passages. So the glory of God already exists. <laughs> but the glory to God, the glory for God, comes out of His most amazing act. And that is his son dying on the cross. The holy God will take one of the most evil moments in life, probably the most evil, if you think about it. I mean, certainly the very act of crucifixion in itself was such a terrible thing and a painful experience and, and one that was horrifying. But yet, when you think about God himself being the one who would be killed for sin that he did not commit, that's amazing. When you realize that as recipients, that was for you and me. And so, in the life change that comes for those who have receive the forgiveness that he has bought at the cross, there is glory to him that is beyond expression. God takes that which was the darkest piece and turns it and makes it brilliant. That's what God does. He flips things. He takes the messes of this world and he still finds ways to bring glory to himself. At the end of time, Brian, in this morning's study on Revelation, you know, and we're in that. At the end of it all, 
he will be glorified completely. Even those who rejected him, even those who slayed him actually physically, will be those who will stand and declare that he is king and he is Lord. Didn't make sense to the disciples then when Jesus was saying it. It kind of doesn't fully make sense to us now. I mean, we get glimpses of it, don't we? we? We know that in our own lives, coming to the reality of knowing what God did for us on the cross and being recipients of that is amazing. It's like, can that really be true? <laughs> Ever ask yourself that question? Well, it's a legitimate question. But yes, it can. Because God did it. Not because we have determined to give him glory. He brings glory to himself. But we have the wonderful opportunity to be those who participate in bringing glory to him. By changed lives, by living out that which he calls us to do. He's going to tell us some things to do even in this early part of this farewell. But it's all about bringing him glory. That's his purpose, to bring glory to God. And he announces that his purpose is about to be fulfilled. And it's going to be fulfilled when he's crucified on the cross. As we said, a, a symbol of punishment and shame now becomes that which brings God glory. We make it pretty, but it is beautiful. It really is. That which was a place of death. The place of life. He who died is glorified forever. And he wants to be glorified in our lives. And that's where we find refreshment and light in the midst of the darkness of our world. Jesus enters into his glory by going to the cross. God the Father is glorified in giving His Son to die on the cross as the ultimate expression of His love. And we are the recipients of His sacrifice. This is the promise to those who are close to Him. He gives this word in the intimacy of this time with His true followers after Judas the betrayer had left to begin the process. But as Jesus enters into his glory in the midst of the promise, there is not excitement among the disciples. Actually, there's disappointment and grief and loss. And how does Jesus speak to them in this moment? He knows. He knows our hurt. He knows how we feel. And so he calls them, and it's a very, very intimate use of words here. Dear children, those of you I dearly love, it's going to be hard, but this is important, and I, I'm here to encourage you in the midst of this. Dear children, basically he's saying, as we say even to some of our kids sometimes, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Might not feel like it. Might be painful. I'm sure you're going to feel a lot of disappointment and hurt. This is going to be a tough time, but it's going to be okay because you are my dear children. 
We sang it, right? Everlasting. He's never letting go. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus felt their despair. He feels ours, and he cares. And he says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You cannot come where I'm going. I'm certainly that was disturbing. I mean, they had been holding on to him. They had been hoping that he was going to establish his kingdom right now while he was still here. And now he says he's leaving. The one that they have given up all to follow, the one who is their Savior and Redeemer, the one who has brought them hope and joy is now leaving them. And they cannot go with him. There must be much hurt and fear in these moments. They will not have him with them physically anymore. And what they had been hoping for in establishing a new kingdom will not take place as way they thought it would. And in this context, Jesus gives a new commandment. <laughs> and he tells them, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Isn't it interesting? For the follower of Jesus, even in the midst of disappointment and loss, the command is to love each other. I think of that in practical application. Our tendency, when we're disappointed, when we have had loss, is certainly to pull inside, is to kind of be totally self-focused. But Jesus said, no. As my followers... As what you really need is my dear children, is to love each other. Really, that's been the hope for us. And by the way, he's going to be talking about in this passage later on about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and I'll refer to that in just a little bit. But there's also certainly the element here that he's making it very clear that the key for our living in the life that he's providing is to be found in the fellowship of believers. There's something very special. And, and you know, we, we ter- certainly live in a very independent society. <laughs> I mean, we're Americans, right? We can get it done. We can do it on our own. But we also know that when we've been totally on our lo- own, <laughs> that it's been very lonely, for one thing, and it's not very successful either. You see, God's plan, Jesus' plan, Jesus' guidance to his disciples, even at this very beginning of his farewell address, is don't forget, this is an important element here for you and your survival and for your life and for your testimony. Love each other. Now, really, it's not a new commandment. (laughs) If you go back into Leviticus... In Leviticus, we read, in Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. I remember when I was in Ohio, uh, I used to go to the Jewish Community Center to uh, work out. That was the gym I used. And, and every time I walked in there, right in front of the Jewish Community Center was Leviticus 19, 18. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. I thought, man, this is a New Testament place. <laughs> no, that's Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's not a new commandment to love others. But to love others as Jesus loved us, that is new. <laughs> that is impossible in some ways, right? But it is what God has always intended. When God has talked about loving other people, it's been to love as he loves. But it's not been possible because of our, our sin, our fallenness, and our selfishness. To love like Jesus is to love perfectly and to give all to do so. You've probably heard the Greek word for this kind of love, agape, right? It's a divine love. It's not a love that we can conjure up on our own. It's God's love. He is the source of this true love. It's what we all really yearn for. It, it, even though the, the, the popular songs and the popular writings talk about a love that's between us, really what the yearning in the human experience is is for a deeper love because we're all created by the one who is the supplier of that love, and we yearn for that which would be created for. This is the love of Jesus. And it's the love of Jesus flowing through his disciples. Jesus will tell his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower us. We're on the other side of that. These that he's talking to had no idea about that gift and what that would mean at this point in time. The dynamics of that, of course, would come after the resurrection and at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come upon his disciples and they were immediately different. <laughs> those who had ran and those who had feared and those who had cowered suddenly become his witnesses and stand for the gospel. But one of the most amazing things that happened as the Spirit came was the dynamic of the community of believers. It was the beginning of the church. The church exists. We exist because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot love as Jesus loved on our own. We cannot do what he's calling us to do without him doing it in us. Do we still stumble and fall? Sure we do. But do we have the capacity to do this? Yes, we do. <laughs> They didn't as he talked to them. And they're saying, how are we going to do that? And they ran and all kind of things happened. But this is a love that is different and desirable. This is the kind of love that will prove, he says, that we are Jesus' disciples. And it will point others to him. The writer of the Gospel of John, John, also writes some letters also was the writer of Revelation. But in his first letter, 1 John, he speaks of this love in this passage where he says, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Following up on what Jesus said to him as what we're reading today in the gospel. We know what real love is, he says, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. 
Let us show the truth by our actions. Jesus gives this commandment. Love each other as I've loved you. Certainly Jesus calls us as you read throughout his teaching that we're to love all, right? We're to love even our enemies. I was just reading somebody's commentary on that this week and uh, the fact that Jesus really didn't have any enemies, did he? He certainly had people that were enemies against him, but his response to them was always love. Kind of struck me, you know, I'm not really to dwell on having enemies. If someone mistreats me or someone speaks words that I don't like or are painful, I don't really have an option as a follower of Jesus to establish an enemy attitude. But you know, what he's really talking about here is not so much about dealing with people outside of the community of believers, is he? He says that we're to love each other. This is where we're really to emphasize in our obedience. Sometimes we think about loving people outside of the fellowship. Certainly true. But if we don't deal with things at home... (laughs) If we don't deal with the relationships among those who belong to him, I don't believe that is really going to have the impact that he intends. That's what he says, right? It's going to be because you love each other that the world's going to know. Disciples, we see it very practically. I hear it all the time. Oh, I don't want to be a part of the church. They're just a bunch of whatever. Hypocrites is usually the word, but don't you hear a lot of stories? I talk to people all the time that don't want to be involved in church. Because they have an idea that there's some kind of a negative attitude among Christian people or they've been hurt by somebody or they've heard a story (laughs) about something. And we probably all could tell some. I'm sure, hey, I've been a pastor for many years. I've been hurt a lot of times. And I've probably hurt some other people. I'm sorry. I probably have hurt some of you or I will. I don't want to. I can't stay there. I hope that together we can be this which Jesus says. That we can love each other even when there has been some hurts and get over it and move forward and love and love and love no matter what and who so that the world will know. That's the purpose, right? So that the world will know that we're his. Oh, may it be so. May there be revival. I hear people praying for it. But the revival key is going to be through this. I can tell you. Jesus said it, right? This is how the world's going to be touched. So we got to practice. That's a great goal for us for our 100th year, right? (laughs) We want to be better lovers of each other. Yeah. I think that's why we're still alive after 100 years. Because people have loved each other in the name of Jesus. Has it always been perfect? No, you could probably all stand up and say, well, Pastor, let me tell you about this one and that one. Yeah, there's probably a lot of that stuff. That's over there, right? Here we are now. In the midst of what could be disappointing and painful, love one another. Not just with words with actions. So how do we do it? (laughs) How do we do this? Well, you kind of got the idea already of some things I've said. Well, we can't, but he can. 
In the next portion of this passage, we find Peter responding to these initial words of Jesus' farewell. And Peter wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus says that he can't go now. But notice he does give him a promise. Did you see it in the text? But you will go later. You'll join me later. I don't know if Peter gets all that at the moment, but as we know the whole story, we know that Peter is restored. We know that Peter becomes very significant in the whole church activity. Peter, eventually, by tradition, we've heard that he also was killed for his faith and chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to look like he was taking the place of the Savior. Yeah. So there was amazing changes that took place after this. But right now, Peter's Peter, as he was as we read him in the Gospels. <laughs> and he's flamboyant, and he's right in there. I'm, I'm sure the other disciples probably had similar questions, but Peter seems to be the mouthpiece. And Jesus, in the midst of saying he can't go, does say, you will follow later. But Peter then steps it up, says, no, I, I, I want to go now. I'm going. And I am ready to die for you. Boy, that sounds so good. That sounds so valiant. <laughs> that sounds so committed. And can't we be like that? Oh, my goodness. I've thought about times where I think about what I can do and what I will do. And in the name of the Lord, you know, if I don't have a humble spirit, if I don't uh, come to really the end of myself, it's not going to amount to anything. Jesus said that in John 15, which we'll get to a little bit later in this study, that apart from me, you can do nothing. It's pretty clear, isn't it? So, Jesus said, okay, Peter, I'm sure that Jesus was loving and kind as he said it, but boy, it was piercing what he said. Peter, he said, oh, you're going to die for me? Hmm. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. It happened. And it's interesting, the commentators pointed out as I was studying this week, that we do not hear from Peter anymore during this time of Jesus' departure. He was ashamed. We don't hear from Peter anymore until Jesus shows up in John chapter 21 and restores him to all that he was intended to do. Peter was tremendously humbled. You know, that's really how we come to a place of spiritual power and position not by our own strength at all. Matter of fact, it's through our brokenness that God works. Paul came to that understanding, didn't he? Remember his writing about in Corinthians when he talked about having a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed that it would be gone. And what was the word of God to him? My power will be made perfect in your Oh, I, I, I want to shine. I want to be strong. I, I want to be, you know, this great Christian. Well, that's kind of a dangerous way to go about it. <laughs> and Jesus, in his tenderness and his love, 
will pierce our hearts and bring us to the realization that it's only when we truly fail in ourselves and fully depend on Him, that's when there is power and victory. Not in me, but in Him. So don't be critical of Peter. <laughs> He's an example of all of us. We can get excited about the things of the Lord, aspire to do great things, but if we trust in our own strength and our abilities, we will fail. But the wonderful news is that Jesus doesn't give up on us. But he rather brings us to the place we need to be, loved and forgiven by him, and trusting in him alone for salvation, for life, for power, for everything. We do not do what we may think we can do, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So for all of us, the time has come. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus is the glorified one who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He has sent us the Holy Spirit to all who will trust Him as Savior, to empower us to truly be able to love one another as He loves us. And so the time has come for us to do what is necessary for us to do in order for all that He has done to be fully in our lives, and that is to trust in Christ. That's always the message, isn't it? There really is no other message. Say, Pastor, well, you maybe have a fresh message. No, I, I want this message. This is the message. The message is trust in Christ. We don't have strength on our own to do anything. We can't save ourselves. We can't be empowered on our own to do. I mean, we can try, and God does give us abilities and strengths. Don't get me wrong. But as far as really doing what Jesus has called us to do, it takes Jesus to do it in us for it to really happen. Judas was trusting in money and he betrayed Jesus. Peter was trusting in his own strength and he denied Jesus. The way of God is the way of the cross. It is the way of death that leads to life. It is Jesus dying in our place so that we may be saved for all eternity. And it is for us the way of death that leads to life, death to ourselves, death to what we trust in, and instead trusting in Jesus to find everlasting life. Jesus is here today speaking to you through His Word, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can leave this room like Judas, to leave the presence of the One who is your only hope. You can promise to do great things and fail like Peter. But may we do that which Jesus calls us to do. 
to trust in him and his death, to humble ourselves and allow Jesus to fill and guide our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's when we can do what he calls us to do, to love each other as he has loved us. Let's pray. Those words are so few, Lord, but so powerful. To trust in you as Lord. You, you know all of our hearts. <laughs> you know where we have failed so many times. You know where we have been prideful and tried on our own. You, you know wherever we are right at this moment, and you call us your dear children. But you also pierce our hearts that we would realize that in ourselves we're lost. In ourselves there is no power. In ourselves we are hopeless. But that in you we can find true life, life that is everlasting, Forgiveness that overcomes whatever failure has taken place and whatever will come as well. So Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to fully put our trust, all of our dependence on you. For that's where we find life. That's where we find strength. And Lord, may it show May it show in our love for each other just as you loved us. In your precious name, amen. Won't you please stand? As we reflect on the words of this message today, as we remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's praise the Lord for his perfect love. I've got a friend Closer than a brother Where there is judgment He brings forgiveness I've got a friend And he is my strength he is my portion, with me in the valley, with me in the fire, with me in the storm. Let all my life testify, hallelujah, we are lost.
mercy's enough. His mercy's enough. His grace is sufficient. So come in your need, forgiveness and healing. His mercy's enough. And this is our home. The cross is broken. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord, this is our Lord. Hallelujah, we are not alone. God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, pray. close this morning I just want to encourage you if you're here and maybe you're uncertain have you really trusted in Christ to be his child and be he your savior I'd love to talk to you uh, if you'd like to come down after the service and we'll just spend some time and share together and pray together I'd be glad to do that or maybe you have a friend near you that would be glad to help you too. Maybe you're in the midst of feeling like you failed and you feel a need of your uncertainty to have some encouragement and prayer. Certainly would be glad to pray with you as well. Whatever your needs are. You know, as we closed in that song, I thought again about the importance of the fellowship of believers. And that as we come together together, and as we praise God together, 
And as we give him glory that he deserves together, there is a refreshing. There is a strengthening. There is a victory in Christ that we have. And I encourage you to go out from here with that in your heart. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week.